Okay, well, we're figuring all this out. Would you pray with me as we get started? Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Wow, it is really good to see everybody out here. My heart is beating, you know, my synapses are firing. It's like, you know, being with humanity again to some degree. Um, people that we love and know is really exciting. And, of course, uh, you know, there's, for some of us, a lot more hair than there used to be. Um, I'm just going for the Malcolm Gladwell look right now. Uh, just kind of let it go, the natural self. Um, some other changes, you know, uh, Dave Monk. Where's Dave? Dave's about 60 pounds less than the last time I saw him. What? <laughs> it's been a good pandemic, I guess. <laughs> um, you know, uh, seeing everybody in masks. Um, where's Floyd? Floyd hasn't aged a day. There he is. Here, excited and, and happy. Really good to see all of you um, with us. So, you know, bodily presence is important. In fact, it's, it is, as Martin was explaining, very spiritual. Um, in fact, it's at the core of our beliefs as Christians that, you know, God would take on human form and, and come to be present with us because physical presence matters. And so um, we celebrate that when we're able uh, to be together like this. Uh, and so uh, grateful for that. Um, we're taking this, this approach that, met, that uh, understands kind of what uh, our beliefs are, but then also, you know, fitting for our context. And, and each church is in a different place with uh, sort of, you know, a different um, community and different needs. And so we're trying to address what's right for our community uh, in this place. Uh, and so we're following the guidelines and we are showing respect for one another in terms of choices that might be made, whether to be present or not be present. It really doesn't matter um, as long as we go to the Lord and think about what is going to be best uh, in our particular circumstance. Um, one person told me they couldn't be here because they couldn't stand being here without hugging everybody that they saw. So I get that. Uh, I've had that feeling. There's that awkward moment where you want to rush towards somebody and then you, you pull back because you know you can't do that. Um, and at the same time, we're honoring this incarnation principle that, that part of what we believe is, is that God has entered into this world in the flesh to be present with us. And presence matters. Presence matters on that vertical level and it matters, matters on the horizontal level as well. And I wanted to just thank the staff uh, again for their hard work. It's been amazing the amount of effort that they've put in. Uh, it may not seem, you know, just watching on the stream, but to be able to do all of this, to have it be here, to follow the guidelines, which is very arduous, and then also um, to be able to stream at the same time is a pretty big deal. And so we're, we're grateful for their hard work. If you would have told me, you know, six months ago that I would be standing in the parking lot preaching a sermon and it would be the most logical thing to do, I would not have been able to to imagine a world in which that could take place. Uh, but here we are, and it does seem normal and natural. And we're diving into this story about uh, a boy named Eutychus, who uh, probably, the, the way he's referred to, he was probably uh, 18 to 14 years old, so you can think about him in that, that size. Listening to a sermon by Paul, he falls asleep and falls out the window. Now, Paul, you know, is the founder of so many of the churches in uh, throughout the Mediterranean, right after uh, the life uh, of, and death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, in this particular incident, he stops in a place called Troas, which would be in what we now see to be Turkey. And he spends seven days there, and um, 
you know, this is a Sunday night, uh, and he's, he's preaching, and, uh, you know, this, this kid falls asleep listening to him. Now, um, I don't know, if you're a preacher, it's actually pretty encouraging um, to know that somebody fell asleep while Paul was preaching. Um, I've been known in my day, in my lilting tones, to um, help people drift off into sleep. I've seen it happen a number of times, and I've got to tell you, it's very tempting um, to call out somebody's name when they fall asleep. Uh, when you're preaching, especially if they have a name like David or something and you're preaching about King David, right? And you wake them up. Um, or, you know, to look at the, the person who's sitting next to them, uh, the wife or husband, usually it's a wife, usually it's the guy who falls asleep in my, you know, limited experience with this, um, to look and, and get an get a elbow nudge to try to wake the person up. Well, this is what happens to Eutychus. He falls asleep and he falls out of the window and uh, he dies He's three stories up, and uh, Luke, uh, the writer, presents it as his death. Uh, he's taken up dead, he says, and, and we should remember Luke was there, and he's a doctor. So if somebody knows uh, somebody's physical condition, Luke does, and uh, he pronounces that this boy was dead. And Paul runs down, and he bends over him. And the word there in the original language is very dramatic. Um, it could be also that he falls upon the boy, um, he, he throws himself on the boy and scoops him up. Now, even just that sort of moment, um, if we're paying attention to the overall teaching of the Bible and, and thinking of the other stories, we may have coming up into our minds a couple of stories from the Old Testament. There were these two incidences with the prophets in the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha, where a young boy... Uh, became sick and died, and the prophet was called in, and the prophet then actually fell upon the boy, and the boy was brought back to life. And it seems to be that Paul, excuse me, Luke, is um, reflecting that in sort of the grand stream of things, this is that. This is that kind of incident. And whenever you see that happening in the New Testament, you know you're, you're circling around a very important truth. Something significant is happening because it's an illusion. The writer is calling out an illusion to something that's happened previously. There's, there's another illusion here too. Potentially, we could see uh, in the story of the prodigal son. Now, this was also written by Luke. Now, you, know, you remember the story of the prodigal son. He takes all of his inheritance, very rude thing to do, and he runs off and he spends it all in ways that are really personally destructive. And then he decides when he's at the end of himself that he'll come back to his father's house and he'll just say, you know, I'll be a slave in your house because I've already actually, you know, ruined my life and I know that maybe my father would just take me back in. And the story goes that when the father sees him on the horizon, the father gets up and all of his robes, a very elegant, uh, wealthy man goes running towards the son. Now, fathers like that who were in that station of life would not go running anywhere. So the fact that this father goes running towards the son is remarkable to begin with and and as he reaches the sun, it says, same word, he falls on him. He falls, he scoops him up. 
right? And then he goes and kills the fatted calf and produces a great party and says, my son was lost and, and now he's found. And so um, we've got these allusions in this text which should get our minds running to think that we're into some really sacred, important ground here when we see Paul running downstairs, going out and falling on this boy and scooping him up. And what does he say? Do not be alarmed for his life is in him. Do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And then before he describes the response of the people who are present, he tells how then they broke bread together. That, he inserts this little piece. Uh, he says they broke, verse 11, and when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. So the boy is raised and then... Luke makes sure that we understand communion happens next. They break bread and then they're comforted and they take the boy away alive. So Luke uh, is telling us this story in a particular way to highlight some magnificent and significant truths. Um, and then we've got some details about Paul's journey that come next. Uh, and, and I just want to remind us that the biblical writers are incredibly thoughtful. They don't just tell random stories. In fact, at the end of the Gospel of John, we have this remarkable statement by John, in which he says, you know, he's told a number of things that happened in the life of Jesus. Uh, and then, you know, you can almost sense he's overwhelmed with the, the possibility of having so many things to tell about the person Jesus and having, you know, just a little bit of space in which to do it. And so the very last line in the Gospel of John is, there were all also, there, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. He's sort of throwing up his hands saying, I can't tell everything that Jesus did. Um, were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So when the gospel writers um, and Luke, the writer of Acts, is, is one of them, when they tell us a story, they're, they're picking from a wide variety of things that they could tell. And they're telling us these things because they have specific and a particular point to make. So when we read, we need to read with that sensitivity to the clues that are in the text that guide us to understand why this particular story is being told. And that's true in this one as well. Um, and there's a deep subtlety and creativity to the writers of the New Testament, to the writers of all of Scripture. And that's why, you know, we can sit with it day after day and continue to learn and, and grow. You know, I, I studied literature. I was a lit major, comparative literature, Spanish and English literature. I love literature. I love to write. Um, and I just love the Scripture for the richness and the depth of when we sit in there and really pay attention to the clues. Um, it's incredible. Incredible to me. And here, I, I actually, to be honest with you, I almost skipped over this passage because I thought, oh, it's an interesting, cute story about this boy falling out the window, but does it really have something for us to, to learn from? And uh, the more I sat with it this week, the more I discovered and to the point where I thought, I can't even say everything that's in this text. And I find that to be the case over and over and over again. So let's dive into this telling of Luke, of Eutychus, and let's add up some of the clues and try to glean what Luke wants us to see. Why is he telling us this particular story about Eutychus and Paul? 
And one clue to the text is in the very first phrase. It says, on the first day of the week. Now, most likely, this is the first time in the New Testament that we have reference to the worship of the Christians on Sunday instead of Saturday. So the Jews worshiped on Saturday all through the Old Testament, and the people that are writing this, they're Jewish, right? They're, they're, well, not Luke, but, but many of the people in the beginning, you know, of course, Jesus' disciples are Jewish. So they're steeped in the heritage and the history that comes with Jewish worship, which happened on the last day of the week, Saturday. And it was a reflection of the fact that God created, and then on the Sabbath, the Saturday, he took a rest. And so that was the day in which they also practiced Sabbath and rested and worship. Uh, they did that for, you know, you know, 1,600 years, somewhere in that, in that framework. So it was pretty steeped into the cultural rhythms of the people of the New Testament. And yet something happened so significant that these Christians, when they came to understand uh, that Jesus was the Messiah, something so significant happened that it caused them to change the day of their worship, to go from Saturday to Sunday. And that ought to be a clue for us as we dive into this text. What was it that happened? If we find that out, maybe we can find out what the point of the text is. The second clue is the breaking of bread. Now, on the night before he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it. He was with the disciples, and he did this amazing thing where he, he took the bread, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, and then he took the cup, and he poured it down, and he said, this is my blood, and he was um, sort of stepping into a long framework that had been constructed throughout the Old Testament regarding um, the, the word of life, the nourishment of life, Jesus being the bread of life, what we need every day for sustenance. And then also um, the, the long standing framework of atonement for sin, which was uh, handled by the sacrifices all throughout the Old Testament. And Jesus is stepping into both of those. And he says, look, look, I am the perfect of both. I am the perfect nourishment for you. I'm, I'm I, my body is broken, you know, just like the wheat has to be crushed. My body is broken for you to provide you with nourishment, spiritual nourishment, and my blood is shed for you to atone for your sins so that you might be reconciled to a perfect and holy God, even though you yourself are a sinner. Um, which is a harsh statement for some of us to receive, but it's actually true and explains why there's so much brokenness in our world. Because we're all sinners, that's what the Bible says. And Jesus steps into all of that and he addresses it. And, 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 and so that we would really understand that in a deep way and accept it, he told us to do this thing, um, to remember my broken body and my shed blood. That's what he says. And we, everything we understand, the early church was... Um, practicing communion every week. That's, that's what they did. And so that's why we, Solano Community Church, decided in the very beginning that we would do the same. Because Jesus commands it. He says, remember me in this. And because all, um, the early church did it. So that's how they understood what uh, he was doing. And there's something really special about this because um, it's, it, it, it um, reminds us in kind of almost like a right brain way uh, of the really essence, the center of the gospel, that, that Jesus has done this thing. And if you're lost or you're confused, just go back to communion and remember the powerful statement that Jesus made. Do I need to use another microphone? Yeah. Is that what's happening? Yeah. Okay. All right, we're going to throw off that one and, and try this one.
So the second clue is the breaking of bread in the text. And then the third one is this boy Eutychus and his resurrection. Eutychus is dead, and Paul goes down, he falls upon him, and he brings the life back into him. It's a miraculous healing that takes place. Um, and, and so, um, you know, whenever something happens like that, as I said before, uh, that reflects the Old Testament, you have to take note. And also there's that incredible connection to the prodigal son, um, who is an important uh, element of this. And, and Luke wrote both stories, and so the connection being there seems genuine to me. So we've got, we've got here the three clues, the Sunday, the breaking of bread, and the resurrection. The Sunday switch, the breaking of bread, and the resurrection. And what does that equal? Well, I would put it in this way. This text is a celebration of the heart of God for you and for me as it manifests in the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The text is a celebration of the heart of God for you and for me as manifest in the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. If you're taking notes, that's that's sort of the core. That's that's the message of this text. And, and Luke is celebrating that with us. And it has a particular eye to how we celebrate it every Sunday. Uh, because it's a reference to them doing this on the first day of the week. And at the core of what we celebrate when we gather together is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And the result of that celebration is what? In the text it says that they were not a little comforted. I love the way that Luke says that. That means they were really comforted. They were really super comforted. And that's what happens when we gather together in worship. We are comforted. You might have noted um, that we started a new thing, uh, sending out videos of me interviewing people in the congregation. It's called uh, Conversations with the Congregation. Um, we've sent one out so far with one of our nurses, Derek Durr. I hope you were able to, to look at that. And I'm recording more of them. I recorded one with uh, Rebel uh, Yared uh, this last week. And uh, he's one of our law students. And Rebel uh, had an amazing summer. He spent the time with the Equal, Equal Justice Initiative, which if those of you who are familiar with the book Just Mercy and Brian Stevenson, um, he's the writer of that book and the founder of this organization, the Equal Justice Initiative, and uh, also the movie that was about him as well. And they're doing some incredible work um, to address issues of mass incarceration, and it's hard work. It's 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 uh, arduous. It's not you know uh, easy. Uh, it's painful. It's emotionally taxing. And in the conversation that Rebel was able to have with uh, Brian Stevenson, um, he, he shared that one of the most important elements of it was um, this continued focus on hope, that you can only go into the dark places and the difficult places and do the hard things when you have a tremendous amount of hope. And that's true for every single one of us in our lives. As we move through, especially during a pandemic and this heavy political season and the season of racial reckoning and, and whatever you want to add to economic downturn, whatever you want to add to pile on top of that, it's so crucial that we move through this season with a sense of hope. And that's what the resurrection is about. The resurrection is the center of all of our hope. It's the center of all of our hope. It gives us the ultimate hope, right? Because here we have a picture of God demonstrating he's capable of raising people from the dead. He raises Jesus from the dead. And it, it's sort of like a harbinger of what's to come. That, that this will be true for all of us. That in Christ, if we have faith in Christ so that our sins have been taken care of, 
then we have the hope that eternally we will be in the presence of God because of this powerful resurrection. And that presence with God is not, you know, us sitting around on clouds playing harps. It's real enfleshed life. In fact, more so than what we experience now. This life will seem ephemeral to us when we get into heaven because the robustness of the, of the actual incarnational nature of life will be that much greater than what we experience in this life. It'll be more, the colors will be more vibrant if you want to say it that way. I don't actually know all the details, but this is how I imagine it in my mind. The colors will be more vibrant. The weights will be more weighty, right? Uh, and so the, the, the smells will be more smelly and wonderful. Um, none of the stinky ones, I guess. Um, and, and so, so, um, so, so this is the picture that the resurrection gives us is this hope. And we come together on Sundays to be reminded of the magnificence and the magnitude of the hope that we have in the resurrection. And, and it's, so it's that ultimate hope, but it's also the hope for each and every present moment. It's not intended just to be a future thing that you wait for for this entire life, uh, but it, it, it actually trickles into this hope, trickles into your daily existence. It's hope to make it through the present moment. You know, we could talk a lot about the resurrection from sort of an apologetic standpoint, whether or not it didn't, did or did not happen. And there are tremendous arguments for, you know, the reliability of uh, the accounts of the resurrection. And I'm not, I'm not going there right now, although if I had time, I would love to go there. Where I'm going with this is what is the impact of the resurrection for those of us who've decided to put our faith in Christ, the risen Christ? What is the impact in our lives? And the, the big impact, one of them, is that we have this incredible hope. In Ephesians 1, Paul prays that we might know, all, all, that all those who are in Christ would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power, God's power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. In other words, that same power that was at work in Jesus, which caused his dead flesh to come back to life is at work in us followers of Jesus Christ that same power and that's not merely a future thing it's also a present thing it's also a present thing and so in the critical moments of life you are not without hope in the difficult moments of life, in the crucial crucibles of life, you are not without hope. And this isn't sort of an, a glib assertion like a, like a Disney song or something. We're wishing that it might be true. Um, this, is, this is a fact, a, a belief in which you can base your hope that is, is rooted and grounded. Um, and I know, I know what it's like. In my 49 years, I know what it's like to be in a dark, dark place. I, I know what it's like to feel that the worst you can imagine is the inevitable, right? Um, what I've learned and what I'm continuing to learn is that hope is not so much a feeling but a posture. Hope is a, not so much a feeling but a posture, rooted in the beliefs that we have taken on board, including the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what I'm continuing to learn is this, is that um, I have to try not to confuse waiting longer than I would like with being hopeless. Do you understand what I'm saying there? I have to try not to confuse waiting longer than I would like with being hopeless. 
I might be waiting longer than I would like to have my circumstances eased, but that does not mean I am without hope. Because hope's not a feeling primarily, right? It's a posture towards God rooted in our beliefs about God. And the resurrection is at the very center of that. We always have hope because God is for us. And that's what the resurrection tells us. That God is for us. His heart is for us. God's heart is towards us. Just like, you know, the the father of the prodigal um, throws himself down. You know, God threw himself down to earth in the person of Jesus Christ to bring about the restoration of life. And that powerful truth is reflected in the story of the prodigal son. It's reflected in Elijah and Elisha when they bring those those uh, sick and dead boys back to life. And it's reflected here in this beautiful story about Eutychus when Paul goes down. He throws himself down upon the boy and brings him back to life. That's the center of our hope. Our hope is knowing that God's heart is for us. And this has implications for us in terms of the purpose of our lives. Um, you, excuse me, you are to reflect God's heart. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is to be a person who reflects the heart of God towards others. I don't think it's really a rebuke against falling asleep in church that Eutychus falls asleep. I'm not sure that that's Luke's point here. Make sure you don't fall asleep in church. I mean, he's just a boy, 8 to 14, you know, and, you know, sometimes some of the people that have fallen asleep uh, during my sermons have worked all night. So there's reasons for this, right? Um, so so um, it's not really, a, a, you know, a, a rebuke of Eutychus, but it does bring up the theme of sleep. And in the New Testament, you know, we've got a number of different ways that sleep is talked about. It's talked about as sleep, just falling asleep. It's talked about as death. And it's, it's talked about as an alertness to what God is doing around you. And that's the, that's the one I want to cue in here on just for a moment. There's a lot of this in the Gospels, um, you know, about a lack of alertness. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. And of course, there's that famous story of the disciples who fall asleep while Jesus is praying. And he says, why can't you stay awake? Um, um, and, and so there's this theme about falling asleep. Now, it's funny to me because I can't imagine falling asleep. And none of us probably can imagine falling asleep were we there listening to the Apostle Paul preaching a sermon, right? Like that's probably one sermon we would not have fallen asleep. To have the privilege of being there with the Apostle Paul and listening to him preach, we wouldn't have fallen asleep. Um, but Eutychus did. And it sort of begs the question, though, why then do we fall asleep now? And I'm not saying about my particular sermons, but why do we fall asleep in the framework of the New Testament in living in under we are living we are standing in the same message that Paul preached on that night and yet we can still lack a sense of alertness towards the spiritual things that are happening around us and the way that we're moving through life and the way that we're living our lives and today as we prepare for the fall, right? The fall is starting. This is oftentimes sort of the beginning of our our ministry season. We think in terms of, you know, September, end of September to uh, the, the end of the next September. Uh, Martin mentioned that next week is our congregational meeting. And so I'm sort of 
teaching into that vision today so that you'll come to the meeting next week ready and prepared for what we're going to do. Um, and, and, and I'm calling us, I'm asking us as a church, to, to, I'm inviting us, I should say, to stay awake during this season. What, however you want to characterize this season, whether it's the, the season of the pandemic or the, the season of this political uh, heaviness or the season of this racial reconciliation, I'm sure they're all intertwined in some way. Whatever you characterize the season as, I'm asking you, I'm inviting you out of this text and out of the rest of the teaching of the New Testament to stay awake, to stay awake. And I'd like to bring us back to the vision that we set out for this community, for this congregation before we moved to this campus in El Cerrito and before the pandemic. And by the way, wasn't it amazing that God moved us into this campus by by causing the school we were in to be torn down and reconstructed. So we, we had no option but to move in here. And then immediately thereafter, a pandemic hits and we find we need sort of a place to be able to camp. We would have been completely, you know, without a space. And so I just see the way God is continuing to provide for this church and take care of this church. He loves you. He loves this church. And he wants you all to be invited to live a life of awakeness to what he is doing in the world and how he wants to work through you to accomplish powerful and important things that are rooted in the hope of the resurrection. And so I want to call us back to this vision. We gave it the title Church Unleashed, and if you're watching online, you're going to see some of these graphics. If not, uh, in your bulletin, uh, I think you can make a connection to this PDF that explains our Church Unleashed vision. Some of you may have become part of this congregation after we moved here or since the pandemic, and you don't know this vision, this five-year plan we had before all of these things sort of hit. And I'm going to tell you something really amazing about God and what he does in just a minute on that. But let me tell you what this vision is like. It says, we envision releasing waves of gospel-centered ambassadors who will fan out across the Bay Area and beyond as they reflect the light of the gospel into all facets of life. They will make it possible for others to find God, even in our unchurched, highly secular environment. You've seen that. I've been preaching into secularity recently, among other things. These ambassadors will be equipped by a growing team of disciples, teachers, and advocates who will help cultivate their gifts and calling for the unique work prepared for them by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the centerpiece of that statement is the term ambassador, that we are ambassadors for Christ. Someone who's an ambassador is somebody that has a message from another place to bring to another place. Um, and as citizens of the heavenly kingdom, we've talked a lot about that recently, we are ambassadors to a fallen, broken world that needs the message of hope contained in the gospel. We need that Eutychus message of resurrection. We need that breaking bread message of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the, the fact that that's celebrated every single Sunday in the church. And I would say this is not a thin message. The message of the gospel is not a thin message. It touches Every area of life it has implications for every area of life. You know, what we worship, what we set our hearts upon, our sights upon, has implications for how we relate one to another. Isn't it incredible that every person um, who's in Christ has been forgiven? And so, so you are automatically connected to that person in Christ. There's tremendous power in how we relate to one another. Um, what we do with our lives 
how we spend our lives. It's all connected in. It all has, it, the, the gospel has implications for every single one of these. Politics, pandemics, race, economics, all of it. It, it, it's all, the gospel has implications for every single aspect of what it means to be a human being. And that's the message. The message of the gospel is what we're bringing to the world. That's what it means to be an ambassador for Christ. And the first move is to recognize who you are, your citizenship in the heavenly kingdom. And there's a being and a doing element to this. We've got to understand our identity in Christ. And then out of that identity, we move forward in life to act. That's the doing part. We, we, we serve as ambassadors. We embody the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in a sense, we're in chains right now because we're so limited by the pandemic and, and other things that keep us from being able to do what we might normally be able to do. But there's this amazing phrase in the New Testament. Paul refers to himself as an ambassador in chains. In fact, some of his greatest work was done while he was in chains. While he was in prison, he wrote some of the books that we cherish so deeply. So God can do incredible things while we are in chains. That's what it means to be an ambassador, even in a moment like this. And so how do we live that out? How do we live into our ambassadorship? And that's the, the last sort of question we'll, we'll just grapple with. Um, what does it mean to be an ambassador? Um, we live into it. And this is part of the, the vision that we set out for Church Unleashed. Um, you can read it in the PDF. We live into it by integrating the transformational power of the gospel into more and more areas of our lives. So understanding what are the implications of the gospel with respect to X or Y or Z in my life. That's the journey of discipleship. How do I, how do I live a life that's fully integrated with the hopeful message of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to work out our salvation, to, to, to be disciples. And that's an ongoing work that I'm inviting every single one of you to take on, to be a part of on a daily basis. We do this by developing a fuller sense of our life calling as it emerges from a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. I was texting uh, back and forth with Greg Kretzinger last night, who has been commissioned by the Butte County Sheriff's to take drone footage of the North Complex fire. And so he was showing me the website. And I was just looking at that and thinking to myself how many of the people who are suffering uh, from the fires would be so blessed by being able to go onto his website that he's created um, and find out what's happened to their homes. Like this is part of caring for them. And, and then you ask the question, well, Greg, how do you, how is that integrated into your faith? And there's so obvious connections there. And that's true for every single one of us. So that our lives are not separated into Sunday worship and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday work that has nothing to do with who we are. It's intended to be all integrated together. And the more that we understand that, the more we can leverage who we are and what we're doing for the sake of the gospel. Let's stop there. Connecting to a web of sisters and brothers who will journey with you into the future of greater fruitfulness in the Lord. We need each other desperately to do this work. We got to walk together. We can't walk it alone. And that's part of what is going to get us from here to there is to be connected to one another, even when it's difficult. 
And then lastly, being part of a dynamic movement that elevates Christ in one of the most spiritually needy places in our country. It's just a fact that the Bay Area is one of the least churched areas in the United States. And so part of our work together is in meeting that together. And it's a beautiful calling that we have. To live, to inhabit, to live into this calling, you need the church. I need the church desperately. You know, I'm a, I'm a go-it-alone kind of guy too much of the time. And what God continues to call me back to is how I need community. I need my brothers and sisters to be able to do the things that God's called me to do. And it's the same for you. We need one another to do the things to which God has called us. And the church is here for you to help you answer the call of what it means to be an ambassador, even if it's an ambassador in chains. For this, you need home group. You got to have community. You got to have some brothers and sisters that are with you on a weekly basis just sharing your life. So if you're not in a home group, just you got to get in a home group. Now, what we do here on Sundays cannot match what happens in a home group. So please take advantage of the community here. If you're new and that's a little intimidating, you don't know how that works, give me a call. Let's talk about it. Give Pastor Dante a call. Let's talk about what it would mean to get participating in a home group because we want you to have community and we can do it sensitively and understand just all the dynamics that are happening. Second one is Gospel Academy. We've got six courses in Gospel Academy. The first one is Gospel Second one is Bible. Third one is theology. That's the one that's coming on September 30th. Please sign up and be a part of that. Um, if you want to be an ambassador, you've got to know the theology, right? So that's September 30th. Be a part of that. The fourth one is transformation. The fifth one's community. And the sixth one is mission. Uh, we, it, it, the goal is to have, as part of this Church Unleashed, have every single one of you, every single one of us, go through all six of those classes, try to master this material so that we're prepared. I mean, you wouldn't just send an ambassador off into the field without preparing him, would you? You would tell them, hey, this is what you need to know. This is what you're talking about. Here are the issues you're going to face. Here are some of the problems and the dynamics. You would train them to be sent out to be an ambassador. And Jesus wants to do the same for you. He wants to train you for this incredible, important work. Sent in place on Thursday. Um, oh, one other thing about Gospel Academy. We've got embedded in that, developing a specific plan for you. Acknowledging that each of us has a unique calling in ministry. And figuring out what that is. That's part of the Gospel Academy. Um, and then this, these Thursdays at lunchtime, I've been doing this thing called Sent in Place, where we've been talking about sharing our faith, and it's been one of the most encouraging 45 minutes of my week. I want to invite you to be a part of that. Um, that's online, a Zoom call. And then, of course, our Sunday hope, gathering together, and it's so exciting that we can be physically present together today. Um, let me race to the end here. You know, I went back and looked at the plans that we set out before the move to El Cerrito, before the pandemic, and it's on that PDF. You can see it. This was out before we came came here. And this happens so many times. I, you know, I've had this happen over and over again where we set out a vision and we say, we're going to go here. And then it seems like everything falls apart. The wheels come off. And then a year later, we look back and we go, oh, wait, even so, God accomplished the vision. Even so, God accomplished the vision. One of the things in the vision is that we would open up the campus at El Cerrito. This is before the school was torn down, right? Well, that happened during the pandemic, didn't it? Or just right before the pandemic. Uh, one of the things that, that we had in the vision is that we would plant a church. 
That's happening, even though there's a pandemic. Gabe is right over here. Um, if you haven't met Gabe yet, this is Gabe Garcia. You've been hearing about him. You've maybe seen him on the screen. He's right over there in that chair, helping us out today, being one of our shepherds and ushers. So please uh, take a chance to, to say hi to Gabe. Glad you're here, Gabe. So God is doing the things that he set before us in ways that we didn't even sometimes realize. And that's the journey of faith. That's a journey with Jesus. So I want to invite you to engage. We're moving from surviving to thriving during this fall. I want to invite you to engage, to engage in the process of growth, to engage in the process of ministry, to engage in becoming the ambassador that God has called you to. You know, the name Eutychus means fortunate. That's what the name means, fortunate. This is a fortunate boy. He fell out the window, died, and was raised again. And it's, it's, it's sort of an allegory for all of our lives. That's who we are. We're all Eutychus. We're all Eutychus. We're all fortunate because of Jesus Christ. So that's the good news, and that's the news that we're called upon to share. And that's what we're going to do in this next season. And I want to invite you to put your whole heart into it.